0: What is up, everybody? Drew Heifetz here again, back at you. Welcome to Vintage and Stuff. Been a while. I know I've been away for a little bit, but uh, coming back, and I'm just going to do a little solo episode here and kind of see where it goes. I really don't have a plan on this one. Just going to kind of talk and see where the wind takes me. I'm sitting in my office right now at home on my couch. It's kind of a mess getting my snowboard gear together because tomorrow... Is my first day of the season. Whistler Black Home opened actually today, but I didn't go up. It's going to snow tonight, so I'm going to go tomorrow. And uh, this episode will be blo- dropping on Black Friday. So happy Black Friday. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I uh, just want to say that I'm very grateful for all of you for tuning in. I still get quite a lot of messages about the podcast. Someone actually said they're grateful for the podcast Uh Today on Thanksgiving, I thought that was pretty sweet, and I still get messages all the time from you guys saying how much you appreciate the podcast. Um, So big, big thank you, and I'm very, very grateful for all of you for listening, tuning in, and sticking with it, even though I know it's kind of a sporadic schedule. But I got a busy life just like you guys. You know, I wish I had more time to pump out these episodes. Uh, I really do, but sometimes you just can't. Life gets in the way. And uh, you gotta take a break, you know. But I do have more guests lined up. Uh, I got some exciting guests lined up, and I'm kind of thinking about it and thinking it, taking it in a little different directions. But I do have some exciting guests lined up. I hope everyone enjoyed the last one with Peter Yi, the Oakley designer. A very different type episode that I've never done before. But he was really good to chat to, and he had a lot of good info. So if you haven't listened to the last episode, definitely go check that out. Uh, also, shout out to Ava. She started her own podcast, Unseen Clothing, with the Bid Stitch crew. Go check out that podcast. I think it's called What the Tea. Um, you know, two girls dropping all kinds of vintage knowledge on there and and stories and what have you. So, what have I been up to lately? Working a lot. We sold Frankie. Let me talk about that. We sold the company Frankie. Uh, we sold it to another company called Ecologist took about a year or more to get that deal done. Huge, huge undertaking, way more than I uh, anticipated as far as due diligence, what we had to prepare on our end to make it sellable. And uh, what was required by the lawyers and the accountants and blah, 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 blah. You know, I wouldn't say it was a fun process, but it was definitely a highly educational process. And I'm glad. We were able to get it done. So maybe what I'll do to kick off this episode is I'll talk about selling a company. How do you sell a company? You know, I don't think a lot of you probably think about it, or maybe you do. I don't know. You know, I know I for a long time, I never really thought about it much, but then eventually I did. And then you got to start thinking like, okay, is my company sellable? Um, what do I got to do to get that done? How do you go about getting it done? There's a lot of questions when it comes to selling a company or selling a brand. Now to give you a little bit of details on the way we've structured it, which was probably at a fault, to be honest, we sold off Frankie Collective. Frankie Collective was a division of F is Frank clothing corp. Now, that made it a little messy because it wasn't its own corporation with its own accounting where it's hard. It was a little bit harder to put a value on it because we couldn't really like, we couldn't really uh, give anybody its own. We had to manually break it out as its own company. Now, some of you that makes sense. Some of you that probably doesn't make sense. But obviously, like if you're a legit corporation or a legit company, you're gonna have a yearly P and L profit and loss statement, which is gonna show you like how your company did that year. Now, if you have divisions within a company and you don't have each separate each division separated into their own actual company, the uh, the money coming in and going out for all the different divisions can get blurred a bit. So that's what happened to us. So that was, that was the first hurdle we had to come over was, was manually separate the division of the company out to make it make sense for any potential buyer. But we got it done. That was, you know, eventually we got it done and, um, you know, it all checked out and that was sweet. Um, the other thing that's interesting about selling was so many different hurdles within selling a company. You have to get it valued, right? So you have to like, you have to get your accurate P and L which is your, you know, you have to have lead, like probably like two or three or four years of a good P profit and loss statement be, to then send it to like an eva- a company evaluator. And then they will value the company based on obviously based on the money that your company's making, but also based on a whole number of other factors. This is where, this is also where it gets kind of tricky because it really depends what sector you're in. Like the used clothing sector is hot right now. So, the valuations can be like um, quite high for certain companies because you're, it's always on a multiplier of your EBITDA. <laughs> Again, I don't even know what that stands for. But EBITDA is like basically the level of which the company's profitable. So just throwing out numbers, say the company profits $100,000 a year, which that would be like your full gross sales minus your costs. That's how you get your, Net, which is your profit. Now, you know, some companies could be at like a four times EBITDA. So if you made a hundred grand a year, your company could be worth like $400,000 to a buyer. But if some companies, because they're in like tech sector or like really booming sectors that are very um, desirable to certain other people, you could be at like a 15 times multiplier. So your company could be worth 1.5 million so again the valuators kind of like look at that and there's lots of different levels of valuators out there uh <clears throat> and they kind of come up with this report based on your company which gives your company a value and then obviously then you got to go find a buyer how do you go find a buyer now you know you can get a broker who will take a big percentage of that sale and find you a buyer or you can just go ask people who you know in in the sector and see if anybody's interested and that's kind of the way we went about it we didn't actually get a broker Um, One other thing that's very important for vintage people to understand when you're going to, if you're thinking about selling a company, you know, the number one advice I have for anybody who is building their company to sell, which I think everybody should be thinking about building their company to sell. Because if you look at all the parameters about selling a business, it makes you be smart about how you build your business. Because in order to sell it, it has to look good and it has to be good. It has to be profitable. A lot of people love to take shortcuts, claim no profits, so they don't have to pay taxes and all these things. But in the end, that screws you because if you just want to save a few bucks every year on taxes, but don't show profits because of it, then you're completely undesirable to a buyer. So... Building your company with the with the intentions of selling it or with the ideas of selling it in mind is going to m- make you focus on creating a good, healthy company. But back to the vintage thing about this whole factor is that when you want... Most vintage people don't think about it because they the value of their company is within them, which is the knowledge of vintage. So the hurdle here is like, you can't tell a company that needs you to run. You can't tell a company you run out of your living room. You, you know, I mean, there's also you know there's there's levels to that as well because you know shout out Chris nineteen eighty something Co. He created a brand of himself, which you know maybe he did it out of his living room and he could probably sell that because he made it big enough and popular enough and whatever. But most people can't because once you take the personality out of it or you take the knowledge base out of it that is from you, that person who buys it is screwed. They don't have that. So it's like you have to create a business that that can run without you in it. That is very important to understand. You have to create a business that will run without you being inside it, knowing what you know, or you have to pass the knowledge on to the person who buys it. Straight up, period, period. Very 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 important, so there's a little bit of food for thought uh, you know then you get into the lawyers and the back and forth and the due diligence and the ripping apart your books and this and that and interviewing everybody there's a lot of lot lot to it, um, but we were able to get it done after about a year. We're super happy with the new buyers and everything's going very very smooth so far, and we're in like a rebuilding phase with Frankie, and I stayed on if, if anybody's wondering, I stayed on with Frankie, so did Jesse. Uh, for a period of time. And so, yeah, I'm staying on COO. Jesse stays on at CPO. And we're both actively working to build the company with the new buyer as employers of the company. But we're also equity holders in the company. So we're pretty excited. Um, and uh, yeah, lots of cool things coming for Frankie Collective. I tell you that. You know, another thing you got to think about with selling a company, it's like anybody can sell stuff on eBay, right? Like that's not, there's no barrier for entry on that. And like, you can build like a major multi-billion dollar business on eBay. A te- technically eBay says you can't even like sell a. You can't even sell an eBay account. Although you can, if it's, if you're selling a company that has an eBay account attached to it, but you know, sure there's value in like a super crazy high rated eBay account, but I don't think, you know, that you can have an eBay account making $5 million a year and i still think a company that's has its own audience built that's making 5 million dollars a year is going to be worth 10 20 times what the ebay business is worth you know because you don't own those customers ebay owns them and you know ebay has the power but if you build your own audience you have email lists and social media followers and all the things that allow you to sell a ton of product or a ton of your brand or whatever it is that's very valuable to a buyer. So remember that. Um, what else can I talk about on this episode? I've been I started a book today, a really cool book called uh, "The Science of Achievement." I think it's called. Uh, I'll talk about that for a minute. Very very interesting. <laughs> um, I think I talked about some of this these concepts before on the show, but you know they they talk about how. 85% of success is based on attitude. And that's a studied fact. They studied this. So that means only 15% of success comes from, or 15% of successful people is based on their education. So like, if you took, you, you took all these people out of Harvard, like say you took 100 people out of Harvard and studied them, there's going to be a shitload of failures or, or unsuccessful people in that mix. And the ones that are successful, 80% of the ones that are successful was based on attitude. Or vice versa, if you took like a, a grouping of people out of like a community college or people that didn't go to college. It doesn't really matter. The study shows that 80% of successful people is based on good attitude. Now, what is good attitude? Attitude is the ability – or attitude is – The ability to have the, it's the perception of the outcome of situations in your life. So every time we're faced with a situation, which is all day long, we make, we have choices to make and we have situations to go into. We can either assume the best or assume the worst. We can have a positive outlook on it or a negative outlook on it. We can look on it in a way that opens possibilities for our future or we can look on it in a way that closes possibilities for our future. The people that look on the outcomes of situations in their life with a positive outcome have a good attitude and they're the 80% who are successful, period. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. All we get to do is assume what's going to happen in the future. So what the fuck is the point of assuming the future is going to be shit or the future is not going to go the way we want or the girl isn't going to go out on a date with us or the sale I'm gonna have isn't gonna be successful or the product I'm gonna drop nobody's gonna like. Those thoughts are gonna screw you. But if we assume the opposite of that and we assume the positive, you know, that my company's gonna ride or die and I'm gonna, you know, the sale's gonna be so successful and I'm gonna get wicked brand partnerships and, you know, I'm gonna reach out to this mentor and he's gonna wanna work with me and all these things that we are facing our lives. You might as well assume the best because that allows you to have a positive, optimistic outlook on life. And that is what creates success. Um, You know, I've been thinking about this a lot. I used to struggle a ton with my own personal outlook on life. When things were going bad, it was really hard for me to like get out of that funk. You know, obviously with, with my businesses over the last 20 years, there's been so many ups and downs. Times when you're riding super high, when you're riding super high, it's easy to stay, stay positive, stay on the attack, stay creative, keep producing, um, keep motivated, keep working hard, keep grinding. Like those are the easy times. For me, it got difficult when things were going badly. You know, we didn't have enough money, or we were we weren't going to make payroll, or you know sales were super down or crap shitty things happen to your business that you know shell out a bunch of money or uh people quit that you didn't want to quit you know and all these things happen and then and then you go on the defensive and, and then then you start to assume everything's going to go badly for you and then you get into a funk and then the people around you get into a funk because moods are completely contagious so i started to become aware of this i started to become cognizant of my own mood and attitude and how I'm affecting the people around me. And there's sometimes when I, I'm still in a bad mood and I'm like, I don't need, I shouldn't be around the people I work with today because it's going to bring them down and they they don't need that. Like that's unfair to them, you know, and, but then I started to really like choose to be in a good mood and choose to be supportive and not bring people down. And I've probably spoke about this before, but that's projecting when, when you go into a situation and you somehow make everybody feel how you're feeling. It's projecting. Now, projecting is not a bad thing if it's like super positive. If you're going into a meeting and you're fucking fired up and you're like hyping everybody up and everyone leaves that meeting going like, "Yo, I'm stoked right now. This is epic. Let's get it." Then that projecting is awesome. But off more often than not, it goes the bad way and if things are shit, you project your mood and vibe and you think that by projecting your mood and vibe it's going to make them st- more invested in what's going on, it doesn't. It makes them closed off. It makes them resentful. Um, and nobody wants to be the guy that's bringing people down. So, you know, moods are contagious. So, you know, one thing is be very cognizant of your mood, um, in 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 life in general. And I think the first thing in starting to go down this path of like self awareness is to just literally take notice of your mood take notice of your mood and when you take notice of your mood from like an outside perspective you're like okay i'm feeling like shit right now why you know and like just just acknowledge that you're feeling like shit like that sometimes that that is enough to uh snap yourself out of it you know because then you can realize like it's just a mood it's not me It, it doesn't mean i'm anything it just means that i'm in a mood right now And then you can kind of turn it around. It's not you don't even know why you're in a mood. It's super whack, right? You know, a lot of times we let other people dictate our moods, but that's kind of a weak mental state as well. Because if we let other people say some dumb shit about us and affect our moods, they have all the power. Do you want to have the power in your life or do you want to let other people have the power in your life? If you let a comment on Instagram fuck up your day, you're giving away all your power. Uh, so, you know, take the power back, people, and, and control your own lives, control your own mood, and that's going to control your destiny. The things we deeply believe in life, the things we deeply, truly believe become our reality. And I believe this. I believe this, and I believe things happen for a reason. I believe if we put that good energy out there, then good energy is going to come back to us. And, you know, you can, you can, It's not really tricking yourself into believing these things, but it is, it's practicing believing everything. How do you get good at something? You practice it. How do you get good at baseball? You practice it. How do you get good at controlling your moods? You practice it. How do you get good at holding a staff meeting? You practice it. How do you get good at uh, being a, a boss who acknowledges their staff? You just practice it. It's not that complicated. It comes with practice. But the starting of the practice can be scary. Uh, But that's everything in life when you're starting out. All right. What else can I talk about? You know, let me know in the comments if you think this is good topics to be uh, rambling on about. But, you know, I just this is a solo episode. So I'm kind of just telling you about life. Um. What else is going on? Been back at the gym lately. I've been going to F forty five. Anybody else go to F forty five? It's like forty five minute workouts, circuit training, super fast, like lots of sets with small breaks. You do cardio days, you do lift days. I think Mark Wahlberg like started them, but they're kind of like in every town now. But I've been on it and I think it's good. It's, it's easy to stay motivated in those classes. And once you start a class, you don't really ever quit. Whereas like solo gym sessions can suck for me because I just end up like my mind wanders too much. I just want to like uh, do nothing. Plus they crank this – these insane like freaking dance mix power things that are like <laughs> – uh, they kind of get you pumped up. So that's a bonus too i've so been back working out a lot season opens tomorrow i'm going snowboarding really stoked about that i went to see smashing pumpkins and jane's addiction about two weeks ago my first concert since covid i know that's sad because covid's been over forever or at least on the lockdowns have been over forever but uh you know i got two kids and stuff it's hard to get out to concerts but i met up with my buddy pete and my buddy chris who used to work at the warehouse uh shut out pete's meat and we went and we went to jane's addiction um and it was super fun we roll up to the stadium we're about to buy tickets because it wasn't sold out chris is in line and someone walks up and hands him two tickets to row seven and these are like 200 hundred dollar plus tickets to row seven so we all we had to do was buy one ticket between the three of us and we were all like in the first 10 rows it was crazy uh, super good show Honestly though Super loud Like I had to get earplugs I think my eardrums Are completely fucked From surfing But um, Had a great time One more story I'm gonna tell you about Which is Actually super crazy <laughs> Okay So The other day well, Actually this was like A few months ago I'm at the store Chris my manager Is like uh, Hey You have this package here There's a package slip You gotta go pick it up At the post office Uh, you know, we get those in Canada when they don't deliver the package, you have to go physically to the post office and pick up the stupid package. I hate getting these things because typically it's a return or some dink didn't like put return on the package. And now I got to pay duty on a return, which I'm not super down with because oftentimes the, the duty have to be paid on these returns. Isn't even worth the garment that's inside them. Needless to say, I go to the post office. It's in this mall near the shop and I go to the counter. I show her the thing. She brings it over and she's like, oh, this is a return from France and there's a $100 duty p- to be paid on this. I'm thinking to myself like, fuck this. I guaranteed this is like a t-shirt that's worth like 20, 30 bucks. I'm not going to give him 100 bucks to get this t-shirt back. So being a little bit ruthless, she was just kind of not paying attention. So I ripped the package open right in front of her. To uh, see what was inside it Immediately I knew what it was So I'm like fine uh, We're good I'll pay for the stupid package She goes to like punch it in the computer Some reason or other She's like oh the computer's telling me you don't have to pay And I'm like Bonus because I Almost like denied the stupid thing because uh, You you were going to try to charge me A hundred bucks and then she's like I don't have to pay But I'm like sick thank you bonus I'm out of here Take the package to my truck, rip it open, guess what's inside? Two massive vacuum-packed seals, sealed packages full of weed, bud, nugs, dank, chronic. Two big vacuum-packed seals of weed. And I'm like, what the fuck? What the fuck is going on here? I'm like tripping like (laughs) – who sent me weed or like why did it get returned from france to the store and then i'm thinking like did my one of my employees like try to send weed to france and like put the store address as a return call the manager i'm like do you think any one of our staff would do this and she's like nah like no i don't think so you know i think that's kind of dumb if you would put the return address of your job on some illegal dealings even though weed's legal here now, but like that amount is not legal and definitely sending to France is not legal. So I look at the address. I'm kind of like thinking this through. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? They wrote the address all like super ghetto. Like it actually didn't even say F as in Frank. It said V as in Frank had no street address and then had our postal code. And like um, that was it. Somehow like the postman who got it back to us must have just Googled it and like found us and brought it to the mall. So after thinking about this for a while, I'm like the only scenario here is that some person went to send a shitload of weed to their friend in France or sell it to some guy in France or woman and it got returned to me and they put a fake address and they randomly picked of the million addresses they could have picked in Vancouver – my business address so sucks to be you bud sucks to be the person in france who didn't get what they paid for sucks to be the guy who lost it but uh you know what i got a shit ton of free dope for nothing you know four years ago before weed was legalized it was probably worth a mint for not very worth very much now but uh, it's still nice so you know i'm just going to be giving out giving out christmas bonuses and a bunch of weed this year and fuck yeah, Bob's your uncle. Got a shit ton of weed, <laughs> uh, and it's good weed too. Haven't even cracked it open yet. It's still sitting in the backpacks. But uh, yeah, so there's a little good story for you. Anyway, to keep this uh, keep this one short. I uh, hope you liked the little personal episode tonight. I'm gonna have some guests coming up soon, and you know, I just wanted to tell you guys about the Black Friday sale this week. So. Today, if you're listening to this on Black Friday, the website is all on sale, up to 40% off. But that's not all. I'm going to give you guys a code for my dedicated listeners, my fans of the show, to get an extra 20% off. Use code BF, for Black Friday, BF20, BF20. I'll put that in the notes down below. Use code BF20 to get an extra 20%. So you'll, you'll get it's up to 20 up to 4 up to 40% off so you could get 60% off or you know on on other things it could be like 40 to 60% off anyway you're scoring it's 20% off the up to 40% off already sale bf20 go check out the website f is in com. also both the squamish store and the vancouver store are having full 40% off sales door crasher prizes um Free hats for the first twenty people in the door. What else? There's a bunch of shit happening in the stores. Go check out the shops. Shout out to everybody else copping stuff uh, on Black Friday. the The vintage world's gone crazy, you know. Or, I mean, gone crazy in not a good way. Prices have dropped a lot since the height of COVID, but we're still here. We're still grinding. You know, still doing our thing. Things have moved. The new wave is the True Vintage. Everyone's on the True Vintage now. I see more young kids all about True Vintage than ever before. Um, but yeah, I'm still here for the ride. Still going with it. Still doing it. And uh, living the rag life. Again, BF20 for com. Thank you guys for listening to the show. More guests coming up soon. I appreciate you all. Happy Thanksgiving. Have a wicked holiday season. And I'll see you guys soon.